Yo, what is up, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast, where we help you build yourself, build your business, and join the new 1% of individuals that are living a free and fulfilled life through self-development and online entrepreneurship. So quick update, I was sick for a bit, so we didn't have an episode last week. We had like one episode last week, so we're getting back into the swing of things. Uh, You can still kind of hear it in my voice, and I was putting off doing this intro until it sounded a bit better. But today on this episode, I have Jeff Putnam, who is the founder of Rugged Legacy. He is a freelance writer. He is an author. He does crazy things to his body. He's a crazy guy all around with a big beard. I'm jealous because I can't grow one. (laughs) And this man was actually homeless at one point too. So A lot uh, to talk about with Jeff. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we get into it, let's talk about Modern Mastery HQ. MMHQ is a tight-knit community of people that want a streamlined way to starting and growing an online business so you can monetize the things that you love learning about in your free time, create more free time for yourself, and work from anywhere in the world. Building a business is a necessary step to self-actualization. It gives you the freedom and resources like money to further pursue your purpose and fuel your development. That's the second part of MMHQ is personal development. In the world of entrepreneurship, this is a must. You don't have a boss telling you everything you need to do. You need to become self-sufficient. You need to master your mind, body, and spirit. We help you do all of these things through trainings, articles, step-by-step action plans to implement the advice from those, and live calls for personalized help because your situation is unique. So if you want to steal our proven processes, strategies, and systems for becoming a sovereign individual, go to join.modernmastery.co and join today. And if you want to skip all of the do-it-yourself stuff, and join an intensive six-month program that guarantees business and personal success, we have the mastery program as well. And you can apply to that at join.modernmastery.co slash program. And links to both of those will be in the show notes. Now, last but not least, I have a few favors to ask that cost a whopping $0. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or follow. It's one button click away, and it it truly helps support the growth of this podcast. And then you can leave a rating letting us know what you thought. You can tag us at Modern Mastery on Twitter or at Modern Mastery HQ on Instagram or tag Joey or I with a link to this episode and some kind words. If you do all three, send us a DM and we'll have something special for you in return. So without further ado, let's dive right into this episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast. All right, we are live. Brother Jeff, how's it going? It's going good, man. You doing all right? <laughs> I'm doing great, and I'm glad to have you on here. I know we've talked a bit on Twitter. I've probably been following you for way longer than that, way, way longer than that. So it's cool to finally have you on. Uh, it's cool to put like a voice and a face to the avatar, if you know what I mean. Like It's always so yeah. easy on Twitter to just like see people and then our minds immediately create like a perception of them. And my perception of you is pretty similar to what it is now. It's some like Viking dude and we'll go <laughs> further, but it, it, it's cool. I love your takes and 
as always with i'm sure you've seen this but i ask everyone the same question when we get on the pod and that is what is your life philosophy in one sentence man i wrote two books about my life (laughs) philosophy and you want me to sum them up (laughs) into one sentence yes god you're a jerk uh Always place the tribe first. Oh, that's different. What do you mean by that? Well, in my first book, Empire Divided, uh, one thing that uh, I stressed throughout the entire book, while it was divided into nine different uh, core tenets or core values that every man should possess, Um yet all of them apply to placing your tribe first. One of the connections that I made in the book was if you think about, and this is a really cool analogy that I'd love to brag about, is think about America. America is a confederation of tribes. However, to be an American is kind of like being a Christian. Prior to the introduction of Christianity around all parts of the world. If you belong to one faith, it's because you were born in a certain place. You were a certain ethnicity to a certain people to become a Christian. All you have to do is say the prayer, the, you know, words of, I accept, you know, God and all this other, and bam, you're a Christian. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, who your people are. It's the same thing with America. You have this gigantic melting pot where we have no unified overarching goal or idea of what it means to be an American. All you have to do to be an American is you fill out some paperwork, you say some words, and bam, you're an American. There's no prerequisite as far as a shared value system. Hmm. So all we are is a ununited confederation of tribes. And regardless of how people want to look at it, everyone is always going to be loyal to their own first. The problem comes when people start undermining their own tribe in the sense of this universal acceptance of everything and everyone. Now, It may sound uh, exclusionary, and I mean it that way. It's, I'm not going to willingly break bread with people whose values contradict my own to the point where they want to destroy everything I stand for. And when it comes down to push and shove, everyone's going to resort to that. I'm, I'm just a little more honest about it up front rather than waiting until, you know, the, uh, the, the wolf is at the door to use a really cliched, uh, statement there. Yeah. So that's very interesting because one, I can tell that like now that I understand the meaning behind that one sentence, I can see that a lot on your page. And I think that's one thing that attracted me to you, right? Is your not afraid to 
state these things. You're you're very set, not I, I wouldn't say like hard set, but you're set in those values to a point where they lead the life you live and I'm sure they've gotten you to the point that you are in life. Right. And right. so when I think about it and from what I've read and from what I've experienced, it's it's usually the the advice is to put yourself first right above mm-hmm. all else and i'm assuming your value systems tie into that but it sounds like you're saying put the collective first as long as it holds true to those values what where's the line drawn there in terms of importance like on the hierarchy of prioritizing those things is it you that comes first or is it the collective or you I guess can't the- find a tribe you can't find a tribe if you're, you can't find anyone that matches your own values and you have to know what your values are mm-hmm. and you have to be unapologetic about your values and your beliefs because how many people do you know where if you were to call them right now and say, you can't ask me any questions, but I need to borrow 20 grand. Yeah. <laughs> that would say yeah. a few, a few. Those people are your tribe. If you said, hey, I need a place to stay tonight. That handful of people are your tribe. And it's not just about the mere, well, we've been boys or homies forever. You're that close to them because you share the same values. Because you know what your values are. You know what their values are. You don't have to agree on everything because that's impossible. But the line gets drawn when you start placing the collective first without even knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. Because the collective is not everybody. Not all people are your people. The people that want to destroy the system that I've built my life on, uh, such as my family values, uh, the way my wife and I uh, do embody traditional gender roles, You know, she's a stay-at-home mom. I bring home the bacon, even though I'm technically a stay-at-home dad. I work from right here at this desk. People that want to destroy that and destroy everything that I believe in, I'm not going to break bread with them. Now, the difference is I don't hate them, but I don't regard them at all. I don't have time to hate them because the people that share my values that are working to build a stronger future with strong children and leading their families as men, that's my tribe. The political opinion of who voted for who or who wants a mask or a vaccine, none of that crap matters. What are your values? And when you find what your values are and you figure out what you're willing to stand on and say, no, I'm not going to budge, and you find people that align with those, there's your tribe. But you have to know yourself first. Mm. I love that. That's fucking powerful, man. (laughs) So how did you, how did you get to that point? What made you realize that this is your main message? I spent 99% of my life, uh, doing the opposite of what I just said. Hmm. I would get along just to get along and try to fit in just so I would have somewhere to fit in. And sometimes that meant compromising my own beliefs and values. And I was quite frankly, spineless. And when I started 
meeting people that shared my values and I realized how strong a tribe of like-minded individuals can be together. And even when it got put to the test and everybody in the tribe dropped everything and said, nah, bro, we got you. Cause I know you'd have us. That's when I knew. That's, I can see the exact same thing in my life, man. And I really love this because that message is very, it's not, it's not different. It's, it's very similar to what other people have said. And I'm like cross comparing the two. The reason I asked that question at the very beginning is to kind of put connections together to see where all of these align. And it's, it's coming, they're all coming from people from different experiences. I mean, I've talked to Dan Go, who is, I believe in his forties. I love um, Dan. Yeah. He's in his forties. I had him on my show a while back. Yeah. Very, very in, intelligent and grounded dude with but his life philosophy was growth right and now i can see after you explaining that how growth can tie into that it's all it's all kind of one and the same growth of yourself equals growth of your tribe in a exactly. sense would you agree with that yeah if you think about it this way a good analogy that i can put together is uh, think of it like an rpg video game right you've got all of these different characters that are completely unrelated to each other. Now I'm old, so I'll kick it back to like final fantasy seven. Right. Yeah. You got the one really cool dude with the big sword. You got the guy with the gun for a hand. You got the chick with the boxing glove. You got the other chick with the, uh, the like healing spear or whatever. Everyone has different attributes. They all came from different places, but they all share in this common goal. Right. So that common goal would be the baseline uh, values that they all share. Without one, their group is weakened. Mm -hmm. With only one, of course, is extremely weak and vulnerable. But each of the members of that micro tribe all have attributes that contribute to the overall whole of the tribe. It's almost a utilitarian point of view. Everyone has something to contribute. You know, if you've got, I mean, in business, if one of your homies knows web development, one of your homies knows SaaS, one knows copywriting, one knows email marketing, you put them all together and you've got a friggin' powerhouse. Even if you don't do the same things, don't come from the same backgrounds and you don't have any of the crossover skills between each other. You can build an, a, a huge success, a hugely successful company just by having some guys that know those things. Right. And so Dan focused on growth or Zach Hummel focused on, you know, walking on a tightrope with one leg across the Grand Canyon while doing pistol squats somehow or another that <laughs> I love Zach. He's like one of my best friends, but you know, all of those things are going to contribute to the strength of the tribe. It's very three musketeerish all for one, one for all, mm -hmm. but that's 300 million years of beta testing, you know, through nature this is what happens to everyone. Look at, I mean, we naturally do these things anyway. Look at high school. You click up. Everyone clicks up in high school. 
And then when you get out, everybody goes, oh, well, you know, I hung out with the jocks or I hung out with the band geeks or I hung out with the math nerds or the chess club or the debate team or I was the loner nobody. Get one from each group, put them all together and see what happens. Yeah. You make yeah. magic, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly how mine went, too. But I love the analogy you had there of the whole video game, because I've made that like literally in I think it was like two podcasts ago. That was what the entire podcast was about. And thinking of it as an MMORPG, like World of Warcraft, for example, I played that a bit a few years back. And it's so cool to make those connections because I've been thinking about this a lot recently and trying to create a blog post on this. And it's like you're dropped in the world naked, nothing, no armor, no anything. And then you get to a specific level you go about it yourself, in essence, get to a certain level, and then you can join a guild. You can join or yeah, you can join a guild, you can start doing dungeons. And with the dungeons, you have to have a tank, you have to have a healer, you have to have the DPS and every like without any of those, <laughs> you're not going to complete the dungeon. And you have to talk and communicate and make sure that you're all on the same page. But it's very, it's just interesting. Like, I really like the way you put that in how everyone comes together. And you naturally attract these people. You naturally attract these people. But my question about that is, where do you draw the line? Because there are, you could get, wrangled into the wrong tribe at some point and you're just there because you see the value in being in that tribe but they don't like it just doesn't feel right you know what i mean you're no, that's where you're it comes into knowing what your own values are first mm -hmm. so yeah, how do if, you get to that point the same way everybody gets to anything is trial and error you know you People spend their whole lives asking these questions. You know, college girls get pregnant by going, I'm going out to find myself, right? You know, everybody <laughs> asks that question. You know, who am I? Well, you have to go and live to figure that out. You know, you don't need an opinion on every single thing, but you know if something feels right to you or not. You know if doing this thing is going to compromise a value that, you've either had instilled from you from being raised or, you know, just that you came to have through life and experiences and those things. And it's really hard for young people, right? They, what have they done? Nothing. You know, it's the 19 year old life coach, you know, he hasn't <laughs> done anything. Um, but it's time and experience and getting burned and learning from them. You know, it's not, turning a mistake into a decision. Right. I like, cause that's what happens. I like we, that uh, a lot. Any of the mistakes that we make more than once are decisions. Mm. Damn. <laughs> I might need to clip that. That was fucking good. <laughs> but uh, to change pace a bit, you mentioned your books and mm -hmm. you're a writer. I know that. Mm -hmm. So, what did that look like? Because, you know, I told you I'm starting to write a book and it seems to me right now, it doesn't seem as much of a daunting task as it did a few years ago. But 
I feel like a lot of people, especially like people in our space where they're freelancing, they're building a personal brand, they're doing all of these things that either require writing or something else, but they think that a book is just way too out of their league to even do. Is there a time where that just becomes natural, where it's like, yeah, I've gotten to a point where I can write a book about this? Or, no. <laughs> <laughs> or is Don't it just no. a matter of... Is it just a matter of sitting down and writing it and refining it over time? Because all of these things come into play where you're like, oh, what about a publisher? What about uh, an editor? Like they don't know anything that goes into it. So it never even crossed their mind to actually write it. Well, fortunately, uh, for anyone that hears that question and this answer, I didn't know anything about it either. It was like uh, December 21st of last year. I tweeted out. In 2021, I'm going to have a paperback for sale. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell I was going to write. <laughs> and then I think I started writing January 1st. I had no idea what I was going to write. Right? I mean, I had an idea and I wanted to kind of establish a bit of who I am and what I stand for and my own life philosophy, right? I mean, this book isn't going to win me any, uh, any awards at all, simply because it's very non-politically correct. Uh, right. Both of them are. And I wrote the whole thing kind of like how uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote the Gulag Archipelago, where every single page just seems like it's filled with righteous indignation. <laughs> and that's how I wrote it, right? But the only way that I figure I could write was I told myself, you know, every morning I'm already getting up at three 30. I go to the gym at four. I come home. It's about five 15. I make some coffee. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write no less than 1000 words a day. And so that's what I did. It took me 34 days to write empire divided. Yeah. And, and then I went, and I downloaded Grammarly and the Hemingway app and I did self editing and it's still full of friggin' typos, but I don't care. It's got like four stars, 33 something good reviews on <laughs> friggin' Amazon. It hit number one in the category at right after release. So I'm, like, I'm okay with it. Oh, wow. Um, but no, that's, that's what writing is. You know, everybody jumps too far ahead of themselves. They go, Oh, uh, what about an editor and a publisher? What have you written so far? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, I need to figure out taxes before you before you start your business. You haven't sold shit. You haven't made any money. What the hell? You know, don't worry about right. fucking taxes or your LLC or your business card until you have something you're selling. You know, right. so don't worry about the editor and the publisher and the format and all this other until you write the damn thing. You, know, you can go the self-publishing route on Amazon like I did. But, I mean, writing's easy if you stop trying to make it hard. Because all I did was I have, you know, I've got a copy of my book in here like all good authors do. <laughs> you, know? you know, right here, I've got Empire Divided. And it's a short 40-something thousand word book, right? And the first value that I wanted to talk about was courage. You know, 
so I started off on courage and I started writing just kind of free writing everything that I thought courage meant to me and everything that I thought people need to understand about what courage is. And I did that for like four days. So cool. That's 4,000 words. That's way more than a chapter should be. So cool. Now I'll go on to strength. I did the same thing. Then I went on to brotherhood and tribalism. And then I went on to simplicity, uh, determination, and I, I just went through every single chapter until I was done writing it. I didn't try to go back and fix the spelling on this word or the uh, uh, punctuation, grammar, any of that. Because one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from uh, Adam Lane Smith. Uh, he's at the Brometheus on Twitter. Mm. He's written like 26 books in like four years. Yeah, he, he can write a, a novel in a month, right? He, he's a monster. And he said, write it and then write it. Because the way you need to look at it is you want to make bricks? Well, you got to mix the mud and the dirt in the clay. You have to make the clay first and then make the bricks. So just word vomit 50,000 words, 60,000 words, 70,000 words, and then edit it down until you have it nice, clean, and polished. Just sit down and write. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to write my book now. (laughs) I've been, (laughs) I've been, I've been writing it. I've been doing like a, an off brand. I wouldn't say off brand, but I've been writing out like each concept into emails and like threads or blog posts or YouTube scripts and Mm -hmm. like collecting them and putting them all together in order just so I have something written out. And then I can come back and like use that to make it better when I actually write the book. But now I just want to start writing it because I've been saying like, hey, I need to write this for a long time. And now it's time to actually write it. But I want to ask you why writing? Because you're I I know you came like far you, you have like Rugged Legacy, you have other things that came before this in terms of your branding, but now it seems like you're going headfirst into writing, probably because you've done that for so long. But why writing? Funny story. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a writer because I was always reading, right? Yeah, I spent the entire, you know, majority of my childhood you know, outside shooting, you know, my friends with BB guns and running out in the (laughs) cow pasture in the woods and all this other, but there's be plenty of times where I, cause I used to love the Hardy boys and uh, the goosebump series, right? Mm. I could sit down and I could read one in a day or less to the point where sometimes I wouldn't even realize, hey, you haven't been outside in two days because you bought me two books, mom. And, uh, (laughs) you know, you know, my mom would get pissed off and be like, you've been inside long enough. Go play. It's finally not raining or whatever. And so I go outside and she's mad at me because I'm laid up underneath the tree reading. Like, no, (laughs) go run, go play. Give me the damn book. You know, like do something. You got too much energy when you're not reading. You're acting like an asshole in the house. Here, give me the damn book. Go run it off. But uh, I, I loved reading, and I still love reading. 
And I always wanted, you know, to be able to spin words and tell stories the way that they do, the writers. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of my favorite books were like, I loved Moby Dick, Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, Old Man in the Sea, White Fang. But I, I really identified with Jack London and Ernest Hemingway just because they were cool, right? I mean, Jack London, you know, pretended to be a hobo and just rolled around in a, on a, uh, a rail car and did all kinds of shit to like fool the police. Oh no, no, no. Uh, my, my parents died in the shipwreck and you know, I, I'm just trying to drift. He did all that kind of cool shit. Right. And then you got Hemingway, uh, as, as fucking Hemingway. Right. And so I had this mental image in my head as an adult having no wife, having no children, and I was just going to be drunk on a sailboat with a typewriter and a machine gun shooting at Marlins while I write the great American novel. <laughs> that was Hemingway right there off the coast of Cuba. It's what he did. Right? And so I had this idea, like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I, I was one of those people that uh, I'm going to start journaling and start writing. I, I probably bought 50 fucking journals that never got anything written in them, you know, because I had that mental block of, I don't know what to write or what to write about. And when I started Rugged Legacy back in January of 2019, I had to write. I had to write, you know, copy and tweets and sales because I did. I spent all of our fucking savings starting this goddamn thing. I don't have money for advertising. So I had to really get into writing. And, oh, you know what? I read this Google article that blogs generate a lot of traffic. Cool. I'm going to write a damn blog. And so I probably wrote like 6,000 blogs over the last three years. A lot of them were trash, so they were scrapped. But that like awakened it for me because I had to do it by necessity and my dog's barking. But uh, <laughs> but it just kind of awakened how much I love writing. And so it, it's cool that it's and rare that you can take something you love doing and put a price tag on it without ruining it you know you know you can you can ruin a passion or a a joy really easily when you try to monetize it because it starts to feel like work i mean well lucky for me writing's always fucking felt like work so it doesn't matter (laughs) you know but i really like doing it and after i wrote two books in 80 days and published both of them and they both hit their number one spot on amazon i said people really like this shit and they like my writing. Why the fuck would I not double down on writing? You know, it's, it's like, imagine if Babe Ruth was like, I'm really fucking good at baseball, but fuck that. I'm going to play piano. (laughs) And I'm not saying I'm the Babe Ruth of writing. There's a fuck ton more writers out there that are a hell of a lot better than me, but it's, I mean, I'm, I'm really good at it. I really like doing it and people really enjoy it. And it's, it's one of those things where if you get good at it, you can do anything with. It makes everything easier. Even your, the way you think, the way you speak and communicate with people, you can you, – it's like magic. You put words together in a certain order and you get people to do things yeah. or you make something happen. It, it's an incantation is what it is. It's a spell that's written down. And when it's written down in the right order, literal magic happens. You can send people on these, you know, you know, psychological hallucinations for hours on end with the words you write down. 
it's really cool, man. I just dig it. And that's why I'm, I said, fuck it. I'm going all in on it. I love that. And that's so, it's so similar. It's kind of similar to my story. Like when I was young, I'd read all the time and eventually got into like, I wouldn't call them self-help books, but like the deeper spiritual writings. Like, I, I, I don't know why, but I am very, very attracted to books that are spiritual, like a, a spiritual take on the self-help stuff, right? You can, the message is the medium or however you want to put that. And I would see how they were things and it really resonated with me. And it's like, I want to be able to articulate this somehow, whether it's just the way I talk to people. Like I want to be able to articulate these concepts so other people can understand it. And I think that's one big thing that got me into Twitter or actually made me commit to Twitter is because it was just fun. It was fun to like write out these thoughts in a way that I enjoyed and try to articulate these concepts. And it also made me realize, because I had tried like graphic design, uh, web design, all this other stuff before, and I didn't realize until just now that writing is the vessel for every other skill, right? Well, even something as simple as like Instagram, right? It's a visual platform, but the message is fueled by how you articulate it. And the way you articulate it is by writing it down first, in my opinion. And it's the same with everything else, like even YouTube, like you can just go off the cusp, but if you write it down and you get all of your thoughts out there, it's going to be 10 times better because you're going to have something to iterate on from the start, right? Exactly. You know what? I don't care if you're, I mean, if you think about it, even coding is storytelling. You know, you're, you're developing a process and you're telling a story about what's going to happen with this software. You know, copywriting is just terrible without a story, right? Everything that you could possibly write a blog and an email marketing, uh, an ad campaign with four words, you're still writing and you're still using the power of language to make something else happen. Hmm. I mean, now think about how hard, how strong the writing is for Nike to be able to make billions of dollars with just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Words make everything happen. And if you can become a wordsmith and anyone can become a wordsmith with enough training and practice and learning, you can, you, the world's at your fingertips. There's nothing you can't do. Mm -hmm. So for storytelling, I have always struggled with this because I've always tried to, like you, you hear it all the time, right? Learn, learn to tell stories because it's one, the backbone of writing. It's, it's what gets people to pay attention. It, it takes them on an emotional roller coaster. It's relatable to them. One, how would you go about learning how to tell stories? And do you have your own method of telling these stories? And and not even limited to writing. Like I struggle really badly with just being able to tell a story in like a one-on-one -on -one situation. Like it's all over the place. It's all scattered. And 
it, I, I never really get anywhere. It takes me five minutes to tell the story and then it, it doesn't have an impact. Well, the scattered thing isn't all that bad. If you think about, you know, the Guy Ritchie movies, you know, Snatch, The Gentleman, it's a omniscient third person point of view where it's one story told from 15 different angles and they all come together in the end. You know, it's like watching a, an Ocean's Eleven scheme come together, right? With storytelling, <clears throat> you have to pick the kind of story you want to tell. Is it about you? Is it about your reader? All copywriting is a story about your reader. You know, they one of the things they say is um, great copy is selling the emotion behind the result of the reader, uh, of the reader buying the product or using the service. Your character is who people will relate to the most. In fiction, the main character, he has to be relatable to you in some way, personality-wise, physicality-wise, experience-wise, so that you'll keep reading it. So you're a strong character is the first element of a story. If it's a fiction story, you, you, you always start with your villain. Because the only thing a hero ever does is because of something a villain is doing. Right? If, you, if you don't know where to take your heroes because you don't understand the bad guy enough. But if it's first person, you're trying to tell a story of, you know, through copy or a sales page. You make the reader the lead character. And you become, and I, I love a hero's journey. It's, it's a great concept. You become Obi-Wan. They are Luke. <laughs> and, every, and you pose it from a storytelling point of view, which is focus on the bad guy. Even in nonfiction, you're focusing on the problem. Mm. You know, even, even copywriting ads have trouble sleeping. Boom, it starts with the problem, right? So you'd start with the problem, the bad guy, using the Darth Vader concept, right? The, 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 the movie and the story starts off with the bad guy, the dude with the breathing issues and a cape chasing a princess through a spaceship. Boom, you're already hooked because the problem is relatable and entertaining, right? Well, the hero doesn't come along until a few pages later in the script. He's just chilling, doing nothing. But everything that happens to him from that point is a direct result of what the bad guy did. So you're telling a story and you want to learn storytelling. Understand the problem better. Mm. You learn the problem. You learn why the problem does what it does. Why the problem happens the way it does. Why the problem exists at all. You know, in a literary term, why is the, and you don't have to reveal all these things to the reader yet, by the way. Why is Darth Vader doing what he's doing? What is his motivation? How did he become bad? You know the backstory. It's going to be revealed over time through the hero's actions because the only thing the hero of the story <clears throat> in nonfiction, it's the reader or the self-help kind of books. They told a story, the spiritual side of the self-help books you read, 
they told a story, but it was you as the main character and they guided you on an emotional arc Mm -hmm. where you were, something happened to you and what you became after. Luke, little farm boy on a desert planet, got whisked away into the world of galactic espionage and all this other, and, you know, laser sword battles, to what he became, the legendary Jedi. Yeah. And so, if you're telling a story on a sales page, this is the problem you're having. Down the line... You do these things, and you become this thing. And then finally, you are here. You're the Jedi now. But you have to go through the arc of discovery. And you can't get someone to go down that journey unless you understand the problem or the bad guy first. So if you're trying to get into storytelling with your brand, storytelling with a book, start with the problem and work backwards. Because the hero, whether it's you, a character, or your reader, the only thing a hero ever does is react. And it sounds kind of, you know, simpish, you know, beta, whatever the lingo you want to use. Well, he's all just reactive. A hero that acts first in a, in a you know, entertaining story isn't a hero. He's a tyrant. He becomes the bad guy, right? Hmm. Unless he's the villain. The villain does something that makes the hero say, okay, I have to react and stand up and change all these things. Or I have to get revenge on the guy that stole my burrito or whatever. (laughs) Understand the problem first, inside and out. And then you work to what does someone who is encountering this villain do? And that is how you get your story to start. Start with the problem, the big inciting incident. That's why you read some of these thriller novels and you see them open it up and it's on page one or even most movies you can watch them. There's always like a huge action scene where then something bad happens and it says like 12 months later or 30 days later or whatever. But you got hooked right there in the beginning because shit was going down. And then it goes 12 months later. Oh, man, I wonder what's going to happen now. But the inciting incident happened right there on the first page. The big problem, you know, the epic climax right here, you know, the the one you know is going to be trouble in the future is right here. And that's how you pull people into a story, by giving them the inciting event right there in the beginning. You know, you, you do a lot of marketing. All your copy is you always put the problem very, the first thing right there, even if it's mentioned contrarily, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, right there, the first opening line, you have this problem, but dun, 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 here comes the hero. (laughs) That's storytelling. Nice. Okay. Nice. I've noticed that a lot in copy and maybe I just didn't register it to a story. Like I've told my stories in copy, but in terms of like, we tend to forget these things too, right? Like it kind of becomes second nature. Like maybe I've just been writing stories here and there, especially in like tweets without even knowing it because I've gotten so used to starting with the problem first. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, 
here's what happens next. Here's the result, the transformation, right? That's what all of marketing revolves around is the transformation, as you mentioned. And the vessel for showing that is storytelling, whether it's whether it's actual people or just guiding them through, like if it's an object or something. Yeah. And you're kind and of that transformation, that transformation in, in a story, you know, if you want to use the actual terminology, lingo, vernacular, whatever they call it, it's called the rising action. Because it leads to the climax, the big boss battle. And then you have your falling action, the aftermath of the big battle to the final resolution. And the final resolution, Luke's a fucking Jedi. Right. Damn. There's a, I, I'm going to enjoy like looking at things from these pers- this perspective now. And... I want to touch on another thing because on this podcast, like we talk about all things business, all things self-development. And I know there are a ton of writers out there that have zero idea how to start monetizing their writing. So in your experience, because there's so many different ways to go about this, right? There's freelancing, there's... um creating your own product, creating your own book, uh, teaching people how to write, for example. But then when it comes to selling that, what's, or even then, yeah, what's what's the process for monetizing one's writing? It's the same way you monetize anything else. <laughs> Chapstick has a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It keeps your lips from you know, looking like they got dragged across the asphalt in the summer and the winter. <laughs> That's the purpose, right? Well, what is the purpose of your writing? Is the purpose entertainment? Is the purpose to teach someone how to build a six-figure business? Is it to guide them along their spiritual path? Mm. Whatever it is, you monetize them all the same. You have an idea, figure out how to frame it in a way that people want it. So I've got this tube of wax. By the way, if you rub it on your face, your lips will feel better. Oh shit, you know what? I could probably use that. And then you put it in front of them. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not as complicated as people think, you know. But people do think that the only way you can monetize writing is by writing books. I did that. That's why I wrote two of them in, <laughs> you know, in like less than three months. That's why I wrote two of them. But uh, no, you can, you can monetize your writing by writing for people who don't know how to write. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be ghost writing. It can be, hey, um, I noticed that you spell like a blind circus monkey. Give me that. I'll fix all <laughs> your shit. You know, I'll fix all your shit for you. And I'll rewrite it because you're shitty at, to- at storytelling. I'll do some developmental editing and I'll rewrite and reframe everything into a story that flows the way it should be with the inciting incident. You know, the introduction of your heroes and your character here in, in the first act, the rising action, the climax, the falling action, and the final resolution. I might even put a to be continued on there because if you only write one book, it doesn't sell as much as a series. But that's, <laughs> no, I mean, writing, 
anything is the same thing as you package a how-to manual and you and you you market it the same way you market Coca-Cola. What's the result of drinking Coca-Cola? Well, apparently it's riding down the beach in a Jeep with a top down with a bunch of blonde chicks in the back and surfboards, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the result of Coca-Cola. At least that's the way the, the, the lifestyle their marketing presents. What lifestyle does Empire Divided present? Mm. It's a new way of looking at the world that you've already been seeing it, but never had the words to put it into yourself. It might even offer some insight on some of the things that you see and feel and help you carve out a path because the bottom part of this right here, it says a modern man's path back to his tribe. There's the goal right there. How do I get back to my tribe and how do I find a tribe? I've got the manual right here. It's the purpose of it. That I could have put this in a super condensed and abridged version, you know, PDF of 10 to 20,000 words and sold it. And people would have been, man, this is awesome. It's like Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, but shorter. And <laughs> it doesn't sound, I don't read it in Kermit the Frog's voice. <laughs> But but marketing your writing and selling your writing is the same way you do anything else. I mean, if you're doing it just for your own enjoyment, then don't worry about monetizing. But if you want to monetize it, you have to treat it like a product. You have to write something that will sell. And newsflash, anything will sell because there's an audience for anything. You just got to find that audience. If you're solving a problem with your book, your audience might not be who's in front of you, but you can still go look out and find other people who have the problem that you're solving with your book. And then you put it in front of them for five, five ninety nine on Amazon. I dig it. And I want to write my book even more now. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so speaking of lifestyle, and this is a massive turn, but I know your morning routine is crazy. Maybe it, maybe yeah. it's crazy, but you wake up at a fucking crazy time. Why? <laughs> uh, it started off when I was still working a nine to five. Uh, I used to have to work from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. You know, I got my wife's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she has been forever. And it would be super dickish if I got off work at 7 a.m. or at 7 p.m., came home or didn't even come home after she's been here with the kids all day for 12 hours and uh, said, Oh yeah, I'm going to be gone for an extra hour. Cause I'm going to the gym. And then I'm going to come home completely wiped out and tired because I've worked 12 hours in a frigging factory. So the only thing that worked for me was going to the gym before I went to work. Mm-hmm. But I'm one of those people that if I have to be at work at seven and I don't get completely ready to go and still have, you know, 30 minutes to an hour before I even have to leave the house. I feel like I'm behind and being rushed all day. So that's how it started. I was just getting up early enough to go and get my workout, come home, eat, make coffee, chill, and then leave at six 30. 
because it gave me like an hour and a half to do all those things without feeling like I was rushed. And then it turned into something I really like because the 4 a.m. gym crowd is like three people. Yeah. You know, I rarely ever have a full squat rack or anything. Mm. It just stuck with it because I like it. Yeah. Oh, and sense. I get a shit been... ton more. And with, you know, I've got nine kids. You know, <laughs> five of them, five of them still live at home. You know, the other four are grown and moved out, but the other five are still at home. And I've got a wife. Uh, random dogs keep showing up to my fucking yard. So <laughs> I've got I've got two of them now. I get a shit ton of stuff done if I'm doing all of my, you know, the work in the gym. My wife usually goes with me to the gym. You know, because we've got grown ass, almost grown ass teenagers that can stay here at the house while we leave. Uh, mm-hmm. Then she goes, she does her thing, and I take my laptop, grab my pipe, my bag of tobacco and coffee, and I walk out there to the patio, light the tiki torches, and start cranking out my work. And then I come back in at seven o'clock, wake the kids up, and say, "Hey, go sit at the table. You're going to eat breakfast. We'll get your cool stuff out, and then we'll do homeschool." But I get a shit ton of stuff done, man, with all those extra hours with no one going, Hey dad, come look at this. As much as I love being a dad, it's counterproductive to work when you're generally trying to be a good dad and not tell your kid you're too busy to look at the thing they just drew for you. Mm. So you build a life where you're not too busy to do that. Right. Damn. I like that a lot. I've been waking up earlier, like five 30. I'm not at 3 a.m. yet. Maybe I'll move it to that because I still feel like I'm behind. Like I always feel like I'm behind. And that's why I started waking up earlier in the beginning. But I know you. So that's one of the crazy things you do. I know you're sitting in ice baths. I live in an apartment, so it's kind of <laughs> like I would have to go and uh, I'd have to find a way to do that. But what what I mean, are some of the tub, other right? crazy? Ah, you're right. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll have to go and find an ice bag. I don't know if I will, but no, I, I, that's, that's funny. So how often do you do that? Like what, I'm, I'm just very curious, like what you do in your day. And I'm sure other people are as well, because I see you sitting in the ice baths, like doing other things like that. What, what does an average day smoking look like insane amounts you? of meat? <laughs> <laughs> that That's a good hobby though. Oh yeah. I love it. Uh, it's a typical day for me. Three thirty, the alarm goes off. I get up. I'm out the door probably by four. You know, after my morning ablutions and uh, gym until about five ish. Luckily, the gym's like ten minutes away, so by five fifteen, I'm home. Make some coffee. Try not to dry heave from a really hard workout for a little while. <laughs> you know sit there on the porch, smoke my pipe, drink my coffee with my laptop or go out to the patio, do the same thing, work until seven ish. Then I put it up. Kids get up, they eat breakfast, uh, feed the dogs. We start homeschooling and we do, we homeschool in blocks from like eight 30 till nine 30. You know, just that one hour, we get a lot of stuff done. Uh, cause you know, some of the kids can just do the stuff themselves. We just, me and my wife just mm-hmm. devote our attention, me to my youngest son and her to our daughter. Uh, and we take a break till about 12, 
12.15, do it again until 1.30-ish, and then we're good to go. Um, Damn. I will take the, you know, 9.30 to 12.30-ish uh, gap and sit right here at my desk and write and work on whatever, take client calls, you know, whatever I got to do. Um, and I pretty much do whatever the hell I want for the rest of the day. Yeah. I'll I probably like hit the sack around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So I think I work five hours a day, but it's like, okay, I worked an hour and a half here. I worked like an hour here, an hour here, 30 minutes there. So no, it's probably like three or four hours. Hmm. And then nice. I've got I've got the rest of the day to do whatever the hell I want, uh, and majoritively all my clients are handled on uh, Fridays. So I'm like, oh, I've got 13 more hours, and I've got all this shit done already. Let me go get about like you know 200 pounds of ice and go fill up the tub. Hmm. Nice. And so the reason I ask this is because it's it's. Every person that I've talked to, like they have their own way of doing things throughout their day. It, it's all, and it's cool to hear because they're entrepreneurial. They work for themselves. They can structure their days in whatever way they want. But beforehand, before all of that, and what I'm leading into is that on, you mentioned that you were homeless at one point. Mm -hmm. How do I even ask this question? But like, what, what was that like? And how did you get out of that? Because are the people that like I see on the, like when I think of a homeless person, I think of a person on the side of the road. How, how do you even get out of that? You just, same thing. One thing I tell everybody, you know, uh, I don't care if you're hitting the the wall with a sledgehammer or a ball peen hammer. You just hit it enough times in the right, in the same spot over and over and over again, eventually it's going to pop open. Right. So mm -hmm. you just, you don't, you, you shut that one part of your body or brain off that says, uh, I'm tired or this is hard or whatever. And you fuck it. I'm going to go do it. You know, I worked for two years, turning big concrete chunks into small concrete chunks, you know, between eight and 10 hours a day at one of those, if you work today, you get paid today kind of places where they pick a random place to put you as a laborer, you know, and then the supervisor will sign your ticket. You walk your ass back to the, uh, the place that assigns you to the job and they cut you a check for, you know, like 60 bucks. So after you cash it at the gas station next door, you got 56 bucks for the day. You know, yeah. I did that and I had a pregnant wife and I had kids and we're all like my, they're going to take my kids from me and they're going to be separated into all these different homes. If I can't afford and do whatever the hell it takes to keep us in this motel room mm. and I'm not going to let that fucking happen. Right. You know? You, you become whatever the fuck you need to become. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been, you know, uh, averse to mugging old ladies if I had to. One way or the other, we were going to get the money to stay in that fucking motel. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. You know, I just, I don't even know how to explain. I just fucking did it. You know, you, I just didn't stop. <laughs> 
I remember though, the, the very first day of not having to do that, I laid down on the floor of the place we moved into because we were putting back minuscule amounts of money. And sometimes we'd get a little help from, you know, friends or family or whatever, you know, oh, yeah, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I'll give you 50 bucks, you know, that kind of shit. But, uh, I remember we didn't have any furniture other than like some of those camping folding chairs, you know, and some thrift store mattresses. <laughs> I remember I walked into our living room and I got down on all fours onto the floor and I just kind of slowly slid to my side and I slept for like 18 hours straight. My wife kept <laughs> having to come and check and see if I was okay and alive. Like every part of my body was broken and bruised and blistered and calloused and chafed and like, fuck, I don't ever want to have to do that shit again. And so now that's part of the hunger is like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, I will, I will rob politicians if I have to. I'm not going back to that. I don't give a shit who I got to rob. If I don't know you, you're, you're not in the tribe. You're, you're fair game if shit gets bad enough. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, you fucking do it because you don't have another choice. Mm. Jeez, man. I could, fuck, man. You're teaching me a lot of lessons right now just by going <laughs> off of that. I'm grateful I didn't have to go through that but holy shit like are when you think back and i feel like everyone's heard this question way too many times but would you change anything like if you could go well, back yeah before, if i would change it i wouldn't want to do that again <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that's not the answer anybody ever expects fuck yeah i would change it i mean would i change would i change the the rising action, you know, the, the transformation of my hero's journey. Fuck. Maybe if it meant life would be different now, but not bad. Maybe I don't, I don't fucking know. I can't see back that far. I, you know, I don't, I don't worry about looking back at shit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I'm here who I am now. And so I just plot another course if I want to go in a different direction. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody goes, oh, I don't have any regrets. Well, I've got plenty of fucking regrets. I was homeless for two fucking years, you know, all because I said, hmm, I'm going to quit this job and find something local instead of traveling on the road. Well, guess what, asshole? It's 2009. There's no local jobs because the economy still fucked up from 2008. Way to go, asshole. You lost everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. So, yeah, I've got plenty of fucking regrets. I've got plenty of shit that I would go back and say, yeah, I'm not going to fucking do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I probably yeah. wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, but fuck, I still wouldn't have gone through that bullshit. Right. You're making me think, man. Like, I, I'm taking way longer pauses than I have before on <laughs> podcasts like this. It, it's a lot to take in for me. And, man, I'm going to have a lot of thinking to do after this. But... That is all I have for this, and we're running up on time, and I don't want to end on any other note aside from that because that was fucking powerful. So, Brother Jeff, thank you so much for coming on, and what are you doing right now? I know you have uh, that new course that just launched, but feel free, just shamelessly plug everything. So, uh... I got tired of selling so many different things. I combined 
three courses into one with quick start side hustle. So that's mm. always out there. It's got a video how to course, a content marketing course, and the original version of quick start side hustle all in there. That's uh, always being promoted. The new one that I just released uh, seven secrets to write like a pro, like we talked about earlier, writing is the one skill that makes every other skill better. So if you're in marketing, you just want to write for the fuck of writing, but not have it look like, you know, a circus monkey did it. Well, then get that. You know, if it's uh, writing is a skill you're not strong in, persuasive writing, persuasive language and storytelling. I've got exercises and videos in there that you can use to uh, just become the writer that you can be. Uh, and right now I'm working on uh, a new one called Keys to Cash. You know, haha, punny, key, keys on a keyboard. Uh, uh, it's uh, how to become a freelance writer without any experience. And I'm dropping everything from how to get instant credibility and a, a nice put together author bio, as well as a how to with screenshots, step by step, how to qualify leads, uh, how to pitch your service, land your clients. Uh, in-depth marketing research for whatever niche you want to join. Uh, and the cool thing about writing is you don't have to join any particular niche if you just get really good at one type of writing uh, because there's 50 different ways you can go about being a freelancer from doing anything from blogs and ghost writing and tweets and eBooks to writing white pages and copywriting and, all these different things that can make you a lot of money that you probably didn't even know existed in the writing world. And this guide, which I'm hoping to finish within the next two weeks or less, is going to show you and take you by the hand and walk you through it with step-by-step -step and screenshots of exactly how I do it and how I've been making my living for the past 18 months. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah, I'll pop those in the show notes. And I, I like the new one. I, I think the new one's going to tie everything together. And I think a lot of people will like that too. So anyone interested, they'll be in the show notes. Not the most, the, not the new one, but follow Jeff. Where? What's your handle? Uh, at rugged underscore legacy. That's the same on Instagram as well, even though I haven't put anything on Instagram in, I don't know, three weeks. And yeah. I've just been busy with Instagram everything else. Campaign. I'm not. It is, but I really like it. I've got people that follow me there. Uh, like my friend, you know, Jack Donovan, he wrote The Way of Men. Um, uh, a More Complete Beast, Becoming a Barbarian, uh, and his most recent one, um, Fire in the Dark, Men and Gods. He started a men's style, lifestyle magazine uh, with Tanner Guzzi. Mm -hmm. uh, he and I met in Orlando last year. I've had him on my show a couple of times. The only place he's there is Parlor, and I can't stand Parlor and Instagram. So I still have to pop over there to see my friends because some of people just like, you know, I don't, Twitter's trash, fuck Twitter. And they don't, yeah. you know, need it. But uh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass because I, I'm, I'm a written word guy. Yeah. Uh, you want me to take a picture with my phone? It looks like I took it with a fucking potato in 1983. <laughs> you know? I can't, I'm not good at taking pictures. Uh, I'm, I'm getting better at it, but you know, I'm, I'm just not a photographer. And I feel like you can't even tell what, is that a dog or a coat? I don't know. 
You, know, you can't tell what the fuck's going on in these pictures. But yeah, you know, it's the same on both places. Um, you can go to jeffputnamauthor.com and you Are you there? Can you hear me? <laughs> Jeez. What a time to cut out. But no, we got everything in there. Yeah, it, it should be good. My friends, thank you so much for listening to that episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast. I have a few favors to ask you. For a whopping $0, you can support this podcast by following, rating, and subscribing on whatever platform you are listening on. And for an additional $0, <laughs> you can share this podcast on your social media accounts, tag me in it, at the Dan Co., and I will share you on the community page. This truly helps the Modern Mastery community and podcast grow and allows me to bring you top-tier guests to fuel your hunger for wisdom. It costs $0, but it does cost you your time, and we understand how valuable that can be. But considering you spent an hour or so listening to this podcast, a one-minute subscribe or follow button click and social media share isn't too much to ask. And... If you truly enjoyed it, um, we would hope that you do this out of the kindness of your heart. And we truly, we truly, truly, truly appreciate it. And the second favor, which costs money, is joining Modern Mastery HQ, the only platform you need to master your mind, body, and spirit while building a 5 to 10K a month online business as a creator, coach, freelancer, or entrepreneur. You can go to join.modernmastery.co to join 350 plus members and gain instant access to information that has the potential of making you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime as a business owner. With that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast, and I hope to see you in the next one. Peace.